Hello and welcome to the Lancet Digital Health Podcast. I am Rupa Sarkar, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal. We are going to be talking about an anticipated new study published in the Lancet Digital Health this month that describes analysis of data obtained from over 47,000 Fitbit smartwatch users to forecast influenza-like illness activity in the US. Fitbit has reportedly collected over 150 billion hours of heart rate data from tens of millions of people all over the world, and this is one of the research papers that has resulted from this phenomenal effort. I am delighted to be joined on the phone by the first author, Dr. Jennifer Radin. Jennifer is an epidemiologist with the Digital Medicine Division at Scripps Research Translational Institute, where she conducts research to improve disease prediction and prevention by incorporating digital devices, sensors, and platforms. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us on the phone today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Can we kick off by hearing a bit more about you, your career, and how you found yourself using Fitbit data for medical research? So I started off my career, I actually worked at the Centers for Disease Control during the 2009 um, pandemic flu, and that really gave me experience kind of seeing how uh, the United States and other countries responded to outbreaks and how they conduct surveillance um, to track flu activity and other respiratory infection activity across the country and globally. And after that, I actually worked at the Naval Health Research Center, um, also working on flu surveillance um, among military populations. So then when I came to Scripps Research, I was really excited about combining my experience with respiratory disease surveillance with digital health tools. So there's such a growing um, array of new sensors that are enabling us to track things prospectively from really a large population across the country and globally. So I came up with this idea that we could potentially use these sensors as a form of tracking infectious disease surveillance. Can you talk about the 2009 pandemic that you were doing research in whilst that happened? And I'm sure many are aware of the notorious Google flu detection tool from 2009 that was published in Nature, where they used Google Trends for population flu surveillance, but it was later shown not to be capable of actually detecting the pandemic that happened a few months later. And also in 2011, a science paper showed it couldn't detect flu outbreaks in 100 out of 108 weeks. So I'm wondering what lessons were learned from, from this. Obviously, Google data is very different from Fitbit data, but I'm just wondering if this was something that came up on your, in your research and whether you applied any of the lessons learned from this into what you w- went on to do. So one of the things about um, Google Flu Trends is anyone can search for terms related to flu or respiratory infection. So when there's um, an outbreak and people are seeing a lot of um, Uh, information on the media or in the news about these outbreaks and colds going around in their area, they start to search for these terms on their computer, but they might not necessarily be sick. Google flu trends really, in in 2011, overshot their predictions for um, flu activity um, just because there's a lot of media hype and the worried well, as they say, um, are also searching for these terms. So the great thing about Fitbit is that it objective data. Um, It's collecting data that's not influenced by all these outside factors so that we can get a better handle on what's actually happening. I mentioned briefly at the beginning a little bit about the study, but maybe you can set the stage for your study in more detail, give us a bit more background. What were the aims of your studies and what problem did you try to solve? 
when a person gets sick, their physiological responses for their um, resting heart rate to increase um, compared to their individual norm. And often when you're sick, you don't feel well, so you might not um, be as active as you typically would be. You might, your sleep might be disrupted. You typically stay in bed longer. Um, so my hope was that by um, capturing this data on a very large population scale, we would be able to identify trends that may indicate um, influenza-like illness at a population level. So if um, many people in your area are experiencing an increase in resting heart rate, um, that may show that uh, influenza in your area is also increasing. But the great thing about this study is we had two years of data, so we were really able to um, get a good idea for each individual's norm or typical values. So um, your resting heart rate may be uh, very different from my resting heart rate, so we were comparing each individual to themselves. So by identifying when um, one person had an elevated heart rate compared to themselves, we were able to really precisely kind of see when there was something going on. And the really exciting thing is that we we're able to capture this potentially in the future in real time, which would enable us to provide um, faster flu surveillance information than is currently available. So in the United States and many other countries, flu surveillance is often delayed by a few weeks. And by able to get this data quicker, we can um, be able to respond to outbreaks and be able to provide communities with quicker information as to what's going on in their area so that they can enact measures such as encouraging people to get vaccinated, to provide antivirals for people who do get sick, and also just encouraging people to wash their hands and stay at home if they're sick. So it's a way to better improve public health response if we get this um, information quicker and more precisely. I have to say that does sound amazing. It does sound beyond the sort of realms of imagination for what Fitbit was originally designed for. But how accurate is the heart rate monitoring and sleep monitoring data from Fitbit? Yeah, so Fitbit um, has done a, a separate study where they have compared um, their data um, to individuals that are at a resting state. So, so the resting heart rate calculation is designed to capture what your resting heart rate would be when you first wake up in the morning. Uh, and they have found that those values match very closely. Can you discuss what you think is the most important and novel finding that you observed? And what are the implications that this could have on public health? You did briefly sort of mention that in your, in your sort of overview, but I, I would love to get into a bit more detail, you know, pointing out um, some of the figures perhaps that you've published in the paper. As I said, currently traditional flu surveillance or influenza-like illness surveillance is often delayed by a few weeks because it requires outpatient um, healthcare providers to send in information to the CDC about the um, number of um, patients that they're seeing who meet the influenza-like illness case definition. So collecting all that data at large scale in the United States um, takes some time, so there's some delay. And because of that, flu can spread to susceptible populations, and we might not be able to act as quickly on it. However, the great thing about um, Fitbit data is its potential to be collected in um, real time. We can understand how people's 
heart rate and physiological um, changes are occurring in real time and capture that data and apply it so we can be, have improved public health responses. So our model that we um, used um, incorporated CDC data from three weeks prior, which is kind of what you would know in real time, and then also added in this Fitbit variable to see how well our variable would improve the model. And we found that in um, all five states that we looked at, that, that improved it significantly from 6 to 33%. So again, there's improved accuracy, um, and this is also at the state level. So I think there's a great potential in the future to apply these models to even more geographically precise areas, such as the county or even city level, to give public health responders an even better and more precise information so that they can act and track these infections. And you looked at data from five states. Um, Did you notice any similarities or differences between uh, the prediction uh, or the data from these states? We had a... Definitely a lot more data from California, and our um, results were the uh, improved the models the best in California compared to some of the other states. I think every state has slightly different surveillance systems. So, for example, in New York, um, in the influenza-like illness surveillance data from the CDC was missing in some cases during the summer, and that kind of impacted our models because there were some zeros there. And also flu tends to peak at different times during the year. Um, In certain states, typically see flu occur earlier versus later. So in general, we saw that in each state, the Fitbit variable really improved the model over the base or over the null model. So you had an interesting finding that your results implied that the changes in Fitbit data occurred during or after the changes in the CDC data, um, and therefore you you mentioned in your study that they could be less predictive at forecasting f- future influenza events. Can you expand on this or discuss this a bit more? So one thing we um, noticed, as you said, is that the time-matched or the lag uh, model um, seemed to have the highest correlation, but if we were looking at one week prior, it was less predictive. And one thing we no one has studied very um, in-depth is how your um, physiological response changes during the course of infection. So how far in advance does your heart rate go up when you get sick? Does it go up prior to your um, symptom onset? Um, Once you get sick, does your resting heart rate stay elevated for several weeks? And our data um, suggests it might be the latter, that when you get sick, um, perhaps with flu, you get sick for a week or two. So perhaps your resting heart rate and you feel bad for a week or two. So that's why the lag model was showing um, higher significance than the one-week prior model. So when you were developing this tool, and can you tell us a bit about the challenges you encountered with the methods? Um, You you used two different methods, I think, to calculate prediction. Um, So I was just wondering how you went about devising the study. So our first method, we used a negative binomial model. We wanted to predict the the case count for influenza-like illness using our null model was um, CDC data from three weeks prior. So it's a basic autoregressive model. And then our full model added in this Fitbit variable, which was the 
proportion of users each week in a state who had um, an elevated heart rate in sleep above a threshold. And this proportion was added into the full model, and we, we evaluated whether the full model was significantly higher um, predictive ability than the null model. And again, in every case, we found that the Fitbit variable improved over the null model um, significantly and ended up um, resulting in um, correlations that were about 3 to 33% higher than what you would know um, just using CDC data from three weeks prior, what, we, what you would know kind of in real time since that surveillance data is delayed a bit. Um, and then we also did a separate model that was looking at um, influenza-like illness change from week to week um, and whether the Fitbit variable, if you looked at how that changed from week to week, whether that was associated with the IOI CDC variable. And we found, again, that that was significant in most cases. If we can, can we talk about the limitations of the study? What, what did you not have at your disposal that you wish you could have that could have improved or helped make your conclusions a bit more robust? One thing that we wish we had was um, activity data. So unfortunately, um, that was not available to us, but that could really, um, I think, help improve the model because many people are less active in winter months, maybe become deconditioned, and that deconditioning may impact their um, resting heart rate. Um, another thing that we wish we had was whether each individual in the study actually did develop influenza-like illness we were just, in our study, correlating um, their data to CDC influenza-like illness rates. But we didn't really know at the individual level who was sick or who was not. So I think going forward, um, conducting a, a prospective study where we collect that information on symptoms people develop and potentially collect laboratory-confirmed um, data from those participants would really um, further strengthen this study. Yeah, definitely. And maybe something that's also out of your control a little bit, but the population who own a smartwatch may not be the most diverse. So that also has some impact, do you think, on your results? Smartwatch owners, they are typically wealthier and potentially, we found also the users in our study were around 47 years old, um, about 60% were female. So we're not capturing um, young children and also the elderly over 65 who are really the populations that are most at risk for um, influenza complications. So I think going forward, there's a growing um, array of sensors, even ones that are designed for children that can potentially capture um, this data from you know, the populations that are most at risk and be able to um, understand how these age groups and different populations respond to uh, an infection like influenza. One of the final questions is, um, we can't really talk about a study like this without talking about patient data security. So how was this guaranteed whilst you conducted your research? So we had de-identified data from um, Fitbit, so we didn't know anybody's name. We um, didn't know what city they lived in. It was all stripped of um, any identifiers. Uh, we just knew their um, daily resting heart rates and their daily sleep and their the state where they lived. So I think um, going forward, 
um, data security is, you know, always a concern and keeping that in mind when conducting future prospective studies um, that capture this data and consenting individuals so that they know how their data is being used is, uh, continues to be really important. Um, but when a person does purchase a Fitbit, there are terms of use. Their de-identified data may be used for research. And what do you think the future implications of this study are? So I think in the future, um, more and more uh, individuals in the United States and globally are um, starting to wear these smart watches and fitness trackers. And as a growing number of people use them, I think there's greater opportunities to um, harness this data and be able to apply it to potentially track influenza and other potential outbreaks, uh, and especially in regions um, or even more geographically precise areas that might not have flu surveillance, this may be able to um, supplement the knowledge that's available and really give um, public health responders a better idea of kind of what's going on at the real time and ground level. I think there's still a lot of new metrics that are being incorporated also into these sensors, such as um, temperature, blood pressure, um, EKGs, even cost analysis. So um, going forward, we're going to have a lot more variables and uh, measures that we can incorporate into our models, and that will also make um, our predictions a lot more precise and focused on potentially respiratory infections. That sounds very exciting. And before you leave us, Jennifer, can you give us a little sneak peek as to what you're planning on doing next in your research? Yes, yeah, so I really hope to conduct a prospective study that's similar to this, but will um, also capture which individuals are coming down with influenza-like illness symptoms and also which individuals actually have laboratory-confirmed infection. So taking this study one step further um, and kind of collecting the ground truth to be able to see um, how an individual's physiological response to infection, how it progresses during the course of an illness, whether their heart rate starts going up a few days before and kind of seeing how long their heart rate stays elevated and seeing how that impacts their activity and sleep and other metrics. I'm really excited to conduct a prospective study in the future. Fantastic. Well, I'm very excited about the potential ability uh, to use smartwatch data at large scale to really help objective uh, real-time estimates of infectious disease outbreak. So thank you very much, Jennifer, and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Please check out the paper by Jennifer Radin and colleagues on our website. The title is Harnessing Wearable Device Data to Improve State-Level Real-Time Surveillance of Influenza-Like Illness in the USA, a population-based study. And please also look at the link comment by Cecile Verbood and colleagues from the NIH, which highlights some of the future potential of the work. Thank you again for listening.